didn't happen overnight, right? So over a couple of years, I saw, you know, just a change in myself and, and, and my values. And then that really became amplified during the pandemic. And one of the things I realized is I wasn't interested in um, necessarily leadership positions anymore. And I wasn't just interested in kind of chasing the buck or the next title or any of that. So I um, enlisted a lot of help from people around me. So um, I'm a big believer in not doing things on your own. We often hear people wishing us a long, happy, and healthy life. But what if the length isn't what matters most? What if instead it's the breath, depth, and purpose of each day that matters most? Welcome to the Live the Width of Your Life podcast. My name is Annette Ardellian Kuzma, and join me weekly as I interview guests who made changes in their own lives to live more fully with intention, gratitude, and joy. Be prepared to be inspired by their stories of how they shifted their mindset, took courageous action, and designed the life that they always wanted to live. Today's guest is Brian Hatfield, a recruiter and volunteer from Phoenix, Arizona. Brian is an early riser who starts each day with a healthy mindset, proud member of the LGBTQ plus community, an adopted parent to a special needs kiddo who loves the outdoors and especially exploring hiking trails and the national parks. At work, relationships are paramount, and he considers himself lucky to have forged a successful career in the people business. In the community, he is a relentless do-gooder who loves to take on a worthy cause, and he prides himself on building lifelong personal and professional relationships. He's an active volunteer who'd rather paint a wall than sit on a committee. He has many organizations that are near and dear to his heart, and I am so lucky to call him a dear friend for the last 30 years. Welcome today, Brian. Brian, thank you so much for joining today. How are you doing? I am doing pretty fantastic. I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and it is starting to cool down a little bit. September is still not fall, but um, the mornings are cooler. So I am able to do those things that I like to do that keep me happy and healthy, starting with my morning walks and you know my morning routine. So it's, it's nice to have a break in the heat, and we're entering the, the beautiful season here in Arizona. Oh my gosh. Well, we had crazy thunderstorms this morning in Cleveland. I was teaching meditation and it sounded like somebody was in my home upstairs. I was in the basement and I came upstairs. It was just thunder and lightning. So um, that interrupted my morning walk this morning, (laughs) but you know, it happens with the change of season. Hard to meditate with thunder outside, right? It was a little, uh, a little uh, distracting. Well, Brian, you and I met, and it's so hard for me to believe, sophomore year of college, which I know that for those that are watching, it'll be hard to believe, but was over 30 years ago. Is that not crazy to you? Right? And I am so grateful that we met and that we have been able to maintain and nurture our relationship throughout the years, through all of these, you know, uh, everything that life brings our ways. And so um, for those that don't know you, uh, will you share a little bit more about your background? And you shared that you live in Arizona, but you know, what else would you like to share about yourself? Yeah, so I grew up in a kind of a working class family in Dayton, Ohio. 
like you mentioned, we went to Miami University together and I've moved around quite a bit in my life. So I've lived in Phoenix, Arizona, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Dallas. This is my second stint in Phoenix, actually. So I've been here long enough where um, where I consider it home. I, I, I love the desert. I love the outdoor um, opportunities that this state affords. Um, I'm a part of the LGBT community and I have a special needs son who I adopted almost six years ago. His name's Tristan. Oh my gosh. Thanks for sharing that. And, um, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, when you came to visit before you and Steve adopted Tristan and you guys were over for dinner, you were visiting friends in Cleveland and, um, you talked about and you showed me your book that you and Steve were looking to adopt and wanted to create a family. And um, we talked a little bit about some of the challenges or concerns you had just being in the state of Arizona. And then soon after that, you were able to bring Tristan home. So um, for those that might be considering adoption or maybe that are interested in your journey, will you share a little bit more about that experience with us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Steve and I got married right after marriage equality passed. Um, and it was pretty soon after that that we decided we had we wanted to start a family. So um, those early years in our relationship in my marriage were um, things were just kind of coming fast and furiously. So Steve had to start decided to start a company. We um, he left his job. We had, second mortgages on the house. We had a second mortgage on his dad's house. Like we were just going, or he was going through this very, um, you know, entrepreneurial state in his career. And, um, you know, everything just worked out, you know, fabulously. He started the company. It was acquired by another company. And um, we had just decided that we had, um, the love and the resources to start a family. So we went through the adoption process. We were, you know, in our forties at that time. And one of the things that we, you know, we had figured out two things early on is number one, um, we wanted to adopt an older child because older child, older children are less likely to get adopted, right? So once a kid, mm-hmm. a kid over reaches about five years old, the chances of him or her getting adopted is, are slim to none. Um, and then secondly, like just being in our 40s, we needed an end game, right? So um, <laughs> we didn't want to um, adopt too young because we still have um, personal goals that we um, we want to accomplish. So as we were going through that process, I really threw myself into the adoption community um, through my volunteerism, through my activism. And um, if I did anything right during that time was I just built um, – a network or a community is probably a better word. I built a community around me of um, people that really supported us and, and championed us. Um, at one point we had, um, so when you're going through the adoption process, it can be a little bit like shopping, right? So you yeah. can say, I want a boy or a girl or what age group, um, even what race you would consider. And we were pro, we were pretty much open to everything except special needs, in all honesty. We didn't know if we had the resources to do that. And I had um, I became involved with this group called Foster Arizona, and they were having um, a Kids Connection event at a local zoo. So we had volunteered to um, kind of be host for kids that were in group homes. So just by chance or by luck, Steve and I were paired with 
um, about a dozen kids that were living in a group home that were all special needs kids, mostly on the autism spectrum, right? And it was a life-changing day for us. So, you know, just by chance, one one of the little kiddos kind of had attached to me, one had attached to Steve, and we had just had um, just this totally remarkable day that ended up changing our lives. So we came back and had many, many conversations, and then we decided to um, tell our adoption specialist at um, Arizona's Children's Association that we would consider a kiddo on, on the spectrum. Um, and then we were matched with Tristan. And five years later, I'm the parent of a moody teenager. <laughs> An amazing, amazing teenager. And you guys have such a beautiful family. And it's so amazing to see just the pictures from when you first um, adopted him and brought him home. And to now, he is like grown like what, two feet tall? Too much feet tall? Yeah, he's, he's, so tall. he's my height. He's, he's six one, And um, yeah, he's grown so much. The amount of hormones flowing through that kid's body is insane right now, just with all the growth <laughs> that he's got going on. Um, but yeah, so just you know, right now trying to figure out how to parent a, a teenage boy. That's, that, that's the challenge of the day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so tell me a little bit about what you've discovered about yourself during the adoption process and maybe even through parenting. Yeah. Um, you know, the most surprising thing is I, you know, we go way back. I thought I, I am the nurturer of the family. I thought I was going to be all love and kisses and hugs and all of that. And I certainly am, but I was not expecting to be the disciplinarian <laughs> and I'm that too. So um, I've learned, you know, I, I'm learning now to, um, to try to keep a, a like a, a level playing field, right, with my emotions and not to escalate. But yeah, I was not expecting to be the disciplinarian of the family, and that I certainly am. So that was oh, just a little bit so of a surprise. It is a surprise. You never know what type of parent you'll be, but um, just seeing you guys um, and your family, it, it looks like you are quite a natural. So uh, congratulations on that. Best thing You're welcome. Best thing. Oh my gosh. Um, so. You guys have also an interesting community, as you said. So you're able to um, to connect with other parents within the LGBTQ community who have also adopted and just within the adoption community. So what does that look like for you guys? How are you able to to create this community and also to continue to um, to stay very involved? Yeah. So my my career is in talent acquisition. I'm a recruiter, right? So I think I'm naturally one that just connects people. So um, I just kind of lead with curiosity and everybody I need, I just talk to. And um, yeah, I've just been able to fit, to build like some, some bridges um, and share my own experiences, right? So as we're going through the process, trying to figure out, you know, the best schools to um, send a kiddo on the spectrum, trying to find out the best doctor, the best guitar teacher, the best piano teacher. And so I'm always just willing to share those experiences. So I think it's just kind of naturally unfolded because it's, you know, it's who I am, but it's also my professional skill set too, to kind of connect people. Um, but I am, you know, I am, I'm the benefactor and the recipient of um, so many people that just truly champion what we're doing. So, um, you know, they say what, what Hillary Clinton, right? It takes, it takes a village. I firmly believe that because there is no way we could do this on our own without the support of, of those people that love us. Oh my gosh. That's so true. 
And um, one of the other things that I know that you also did recently is that you decided to make a career change. So mm -hmm. I know that you've been in HR, you've been a recruiter, and you've spent so much time and you're very successful doing it. But you recently made a change to a different organization. And so walk us through what that process was like and, and why you chose to, uh, to make a switch. Yeah. Um, so it was not easy. It was not easy at all. I think much to my own surprise, I think I experienced professional success pretty early in life. Um, you know, in my late twenties, early thirties, I was in a leadership position, um, with a recruitment agency and by, you know, so many factors, I, you know, you could, you know, just, you know, tout me as a success, if you will. But I think mm -hmm. a change started happening when I first, in my own personal values, when um, we first adopted Tristan. And it just didn't happen overnight, right? So over a couple mm -hmm. years, I saw, you know, just a change in myself and, and, and my values. And then that really became amplified during the pandemic. And one of the things I realized is I wasn't interested in, um, necessarily leadership positions anymore. And I wasn't just interested in kind of chasing the buck or the next title or any of that. So I um, enlisted a lot of help from people around me. So um, I'm a big believer in not doing things on your own. So I have um, coaches, therapists, counselors, you know, I have a lot of people in my life that really help guide me. So I did utilize a career coach um, to help me figure out this transition and to help me kind of funnel all of these emotions. And for me specifically, one of the things I realized anymore is I just didn't want to be in a leadership position anymore. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to, to kind of take a step back and say, you know what, I, I think I would be happier being in a kind of a purely production recruiting mode, um, re um, recruiting position, um, and not have those stresses that come with leadership. And that, you know, especially, I don't know, maybe as a man, that's a little bit harder to, um, to reconcile. Um, but I did. And I, I actually took a step back in my career and said, you know, I kind of want to focus on kind of what my true talents are. And I, I, I'm not chasing that next title or that next kind of pay grade, if you will. And I wanted to work for a company where that was more aligned with my values. So um, I kind of thought that was going to be in the nonprofit world, but I wasn't 100% positive. And um, yeah, six months ago, I landed at American Cancer Society and, um, you know, taking a step back was probably the, one of the best career decisions I ever made, or at least it was really right for me at this time in my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that you did that. And one of the first things I do with all my clients as well is to say, let's define what your life values are. Because yeah. I always feel that when people say their life is out of balance is because their daily choices don't align to their life values. And then we're not in integrity with ourselves and we find that like something is wrong. So when you were doing that assessment, as you were thinking through, what are some of those values that you knew were so important to you and you needed to make sure that they were aligned in your next career position? Yeah. So for me, I just wanted, um, like I said, I didn't check, I, I didn't purposely seek out American Cancer Society, but I did want to seek out some sort of career or some sort of organization where I felt that I was using my talents 
to kind of benefit society at large, right? To somehow make a difference in other people's lives. And that was that was kind of solely the thing that I was looking for. And then beyond that, it's just the trials and tribulations of trying to find a new job and trying to find a new job at 50 years old. So, um, you know, even though I've spent decades in this space, I, you know, I, I encountered challenges and setbacks that, um, that were a little surprising to me. So I'm, I'm really grateful that things worked out the way they did. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that sometimes it takes us getting to a level of external success and achieving all those things that sometimes we weren't even sure we'd achieve in order to say, wow, that's, that's not it. That's not what's going to provide this sustainable joy or what I want longer term. And so you said it was a step back, but I like to say it's a pivot. You know, you just intentionally chose to pivot to something else, which is very empowering. So congratulations for being able to do that and sort of redefining what success looks like for you on your own terms. Yeah, well said. Thank you. That just that <laughs> summed it up perfectly. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned the big 50. Yeah. And so we all turned 50, right? So we went to school <laughs> together and I just came back from a little reunion with my college friends, eight of us, the girls. Um, this past weekend, we were in Charleston and Isle of Palms. I know you've been We were just talking before we started this recording about, you know, our little trip. And I did say, and I want to make sure I say it and record it, that you guys, the men of our group that we were so close with, need to rent a house next time next door so we can all be there together. Because I think that that would be pretty amazing, too. I'm game. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the things that I loved last year was as you were approaching 50 in your 50th year, you made some strong commitments to yourself. I know you had some personal goals that you were working on and it really was for me watching, it was almost like this pilgrimage to 50. It was like this intentional setting forth of what you wanted. And it wasn't just hitting your birthday, but it was actually almost like preparing for 50 and then this next chapter. So can you just tell us about what was going through your mind and some of the things that you did for those that, you know, weren't familiar with your, with your journey? Yeah. Um, it, again, it kind of unfolded naturally. Um, when I, you know, a year ago, I was not living my best life. Like we already talked about the career and some of the other things, but I was, um, you know, I had some sadness in my life. I was overweight. I just wasn't living my best life. So it really started off that I, with a physical goal. And that physical goal was I wanted to lose 50 pounds by my 50th birthday. So it was, I created a little hashtag. I put it on social media because I wanted, that was, that's my way of holding myself accountable. So it started off 50 by 50, which was losing 50 pounds by my 50th birthday. But then, like I said, it just unfurlowed in, um, you know, in a better way. Um, I decided that I wanted a more rewarding career that I wanted to curtail, um, cultivate and nurture more meaningful friendships that I wanted to live joyfully, how I wanted to shape my son's teenage years. So with that came 50 other goals or somewhere near between you and I, I don't know if it was exactly 50, right? But it was, um, you know, a subset of those were, I, you know, like for example, around experiencing joy. Um, I wanted to do things that scared me. So, um, whether that was going um, parasailing or 
um, taking tennis lessons or um, jokingly, one of them was wearing a Speedo on my 50th birthday um, or just going jet skiing or just doing all these little things that either got me out of my comfort zone or found a new way for me to um, inject joy into my life as I was approaching 50. Because I think sometimes, you know, when you're 50 years old or you're approaching 50 or you're just getting older, um, sometimes it can be like, I've, I've already done everything or I've seen everything. And that, that sense of wonder um, can um, diminish. And I just wanted to inject that back in my life. So whatever kind of harebrained idea that I got that would, like I said, inject joy or scare me or whatever, then I just kind of added it to my list and, and started checking things off, you know, throughout my 49th year. Oh my gosh. Was it the best year of your life? Like, you know, I, I've thought about this. So yes, it, I, I don't know if it was the best year of my life, but my, my 49th year was awesome because I was living it intentionally. And I'll tell you kind of a struggle that I'm having right now is yeah. it felt a bit like Christmas morning. And what I mean by that is all the preparations going up before 50, that's the fun stuff, right? Just all the preparation about Christmas, right? You're putting the lights up, you're making cookies, you're doing all of that fun stuff. And then after you scramble and open all the presents, it's like, okay, what do I do with myself now? So that happened to me on my 50th birthday, right? So after I went through a full year of like living with purpose and trying to live courageously and kind of literally just checking things off. Then it felt a bit like Christmas morning. So now I'm trying to, I'm struggling a little bit. I'm trying to find ways to inject that same enthusiasm um, Mm. back into my daily routine. So if you got any Mm. tips for me, I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah. Well, first of all, I love that you said it felt like Christmas morning because there's um, when we work in a finite set of dates, right? You're like, okay, this year, here's all the things I want to do. Um, and then the day arrives, then what do you do the next morning? Right. So yeah, how do you create like sustainable goals or sustainable sort of intentions going forward? So I would say whatever you did to find what you wanted to do that year. Um, I love these themes that you said of breaking out of your comfort zone choosing to be courageous, this um, creating the sense of wonder and curiosity throughout the day. Um, Those are beautiful things to be able to use as themes as you look at each month or each quarter or each year, and then working with your partner and with your children, your family, your friends, even to say, these are the things I want to do. Who else wants to join me? Because there are some solo trips and there are some things that you could do with other people who maybe want to do the same thing with you. So actually, why don't we start this with our friend group? I mean, how amazing to say who else wants to inject themselves with a sense of wonder and curiosity and joy. I mean, who's going to say no to that? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it was like I had that line in the sand, that turning 50, um, that big monumental, you know, moment with a goal, like you said, something finite. So I got to figure that out. I, I haven't yet, but I'm, that, that I'm, I'm committed to the process. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Did, are there things that you started either new routines or healthy habits or just a different way of looking at life that you started in your 49th year that you have continued past your 50th? 
Yeah. So I, um, there's somebody that I follow in a book that I read um, called The Miracle Morning with Hal Elrod. Yes. And this was I'm kind of like, it right now. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that was the catalyst for me. And um, as you know, like there's an acronym, it's called SAVERS, and it's S for silence or meditation, A for affirmations, B for visualizations, E for exercise, R for reading, and S for scribing. So I'm an early morning riser. So um, that gets me out of the day, and that puts me in a very healthy, productive mindset. Um, so I think that is something that I started and 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 that I, I've continued, and um, especially um, the meditation practice and then the exercise. You know, the exercise, mm-hmm. uh, the exercises, the exercise piece was most um, beneficial. I have the hardest time with scribing or journaling. So if I ever don't check anything off the box, it's that one. So I Uh I should probably develop a new habit around that. You know, um, I would say with that, because I do write every day, that's one I do. I I do all those things as well. And I want to talk about meditation in a moment. But with the journaling, what I started to do when I first made my career change and I started on my own transformation journey is um, I just started a Word document and I write every day when I first wake up because with my morning cup of coffee and I light a candle, like I create a ritual around it. And it's so nice. So early in the morning when we're so connected to our subconscious mind before the day sort of sets, um, you know, before we start our day to really just check in and just say, how am I feeling? What did I appreciate about yesterday? And, and you can just have some thought starters that you can create for yourself that allows you to journal. Like, what am I most grateful for today? Or what's the type of person that I want to be? Or who do I want to reach out to? A couple of those things that might get you started. Um, and they could be the same thing every day. And then, and then you just start writing. You know, I find that uh, usually those things sort of unclog whatever is keeping me stuck. And it's so amazing to be able to go back because I don't have very good penmanship to, to read my typed words of what was going on that day and just to see if there's any seasonal things that are happening with me. But the best part is going back and just seeing if there's any fears or worries that I had. I always write them down. And then just to see the next day, the day after, the week after, how it all works out and how it was fully supported the entire time. It's so amazing. Is it Sorry to interrupt. Is it stream of yeah. conscious for you or do you kind of do, do you follow a template of some sorts? It's a stream of consciousness for me, but even this morning I was journaling about what this weekend with the girls meant and it turned into a blog. Like I literally wrote it in like five minutes and then just sent it out. And uh, so sometimes it turns into a lot of my posts, you know, are from my stream of consciousness of what I'm feeling that day. A lot of times it'll happen if I write after meditation, I usually get a spark of inspiration or something that happens then. And that could turn into something. It could be a couple of sentences. It could be paragraph or an entire page. You just never know what's going to come out. But we've talked about, you know, this call, we're we're talking about like these, um, the wisdom that you get when, you know, that that you get when you're, you know, turning 50 or you're a little bit more mature. But don't you wish that you would have had these tools, this wisdom or these tools earlier in life? Because I, you know, who knows what, um, what, what could have been, what could be possible if I, like, I just wish I would have learned all this earlier. Yeah, right. Um, yes, and and yes, and no, I guess. Yes, because who knows what could have happened. But 
also there's so much wisdom and learning in the hands when we screw up and when we make mistakes and when we don't do things perfectly, right? Like there's so much knowledge and wisdom going through it ourselves, not just reading about someone else's experiences. So um, I don't know. I don't know that there's too many shortcuts that we can take. Yeah. I have, um, Tristan and I have a pretty long commute to his school. So um, it's a half an hour each way. So on the half an hour drive to school, I try to impart this wisdom as much as I can. So yes. we, um, you know, we say, our, our, you know, as we're driving to school, we say our, our little prayers and we say, you know, what are you grateful for? And, you know, when he gets out of the car, you know, I kind of have a, you know, a ritual. And I always tell him, I love you more than all the hairs and all the bears and all the world. And then I'm also like, you are smart, you are kind, you are a leader, you can accomplish this because I want to instill, you know, that, that confidence and at least little nuggets of this that I, that I can in him in that, you know, focused time that I have with him, you know, while we're commuting. Aren't car rides are amazing. Cause I feel like for some reason, kids talk more in the car and there is sort of a stream of consciousness and, and it just seems like a safe environment. I found it the same way with my own kids, but does he sit next to you like side by side? You guys are. Yeah. I think that's part of it, right? Because especially him being on the spectrum, he's not really great with eye contact. So I think when I'm focused on the road and he's looking forward, it's, it's a little bit safer for him not, not to have to look me in the eye and, and be that vulnerable. So, so yeah, that yeah. my car ride is like my parenting hour, right? So a half an hour <laughs> we're doing that stuff. And then when I'm driving home, I listen to an audio book on parenting of mm. some sort. So that's just my mm-hmm. dedicated kind of time block, if you will, for trying to make yep. myself the best parent that I can. Oh my God. I love it. So speaking of all these lessons and all this wisdom that we've gained, is there one one particular thing that you wish you'd known when we were, you know, undergrads in school or younger or early twenties, is there, is it the meditation? Is it the affirmations? Is it, you know, uh, being more courageous or, you know, aligning to your values? I don't know if there's one thing, if you could pick, maybe I'll let you have two or three, but. (laughs) Um, It would probably you know, probably be just about living in the present because Mm. um, I think we spend, you know, as humans, we spend so much time thinking about what's next. What's that next, what's that next goal? What's that next accomplishment? Um, What are you going to do when you drop them off at school? Right. So it's probably just to kind of savor the moment. Um, Mm. And I guess in the past, you know, to savor our youth. (laughs) Yes. Right. Um, I love that one. And for me, I think often I think that if I had a meditation practice back then, I would learn to be present. I would learn to have better control of my emotions. I would be more reflective. You know, I would just be healthier overall. So I wish I knew or learned how to meditate at a very young age. And so I love when I see that some schools have introduced meditation at a young age for students or that um, they've introduced meditation into um, the prison system and in other or to communities, you know, that um, typically are underserved in terms of wellness. So it's um, it's something that is free and it's easy to be able to do. You just need someone to help you guide you through it. So that's probably one thing that I wish I knew how to do when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. I would, um, I, um, 
it's funny. I met up with some old friends. Um, I was in P-Town not too long ago, and I had um, dinner with Albert Krug, and um, oh. who's a college friend of ours, and his wife, and his yeah. sister, who I have not seen in ages. And yeah. she had made a comment. She's like, you're much calmer than you used to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, jokingly, it's because I'm old and tired, but I do attribute that to just kind of being more thoughtful. And I try to... Um, it's funny when I see, you know, we've had the opportunity to to see each other a couple of times over the last couple of years. And I notice, like I'm an observer and I notice you always take a beat before you respond um, and you take a breath. And I've always admired that about you. It's not a skill that I've mastered, but I, I, I would like to just be able to um, slow down and collect, you know, collect my thoughts before I put something out into, <laughs> into the universe. Oh my gosh. Well, I think you do a great job. So, but I appreciate the compliment, Brian. Thank you. And you are very observant. And the other thing that um, I love is that you spend time reaching out to friends. You've traveled a lot. You came and stayed with us, which I loved. And you just mentioned being, you know, in Boston with, uh, with Albert. So is it um, an intention that you have to be able to reach out and to spend time with friends? Like how, how have you always done this or is this something that is more? I think I've always done it. You know, if I reflect back to college, I think I was always kind of a connector or a networker there. Yeah. Um, Yes. I, um, I think here locally in Phoenix, I think I have more acquaintances than I have deep friends. And a lot of times that's because this, these are work colleagues or, um, um, spending time with like friends, uh, like my, my, my son's parents, friends. Right. And sometimes it can feel a little superficial. So, um, you know, I, I, I know I have deep, meaningful friendships. I know that I'm loved. So I am consciously working on building that more for me locally, but I also, um, you know, am, you know, incredibly grateful to have, um, you know, these long lasting relationships. And you, you had said something in your post that I read about, you know, we've seen each other at our best and we've seen each other at our worst and we've been through ups and downs and, you know, struggles. And, um, gosh, that almost makes me a little teary when I think about, um, you know, some of the things that we've all gone through, but yes, I, I purposely and, uh, intentionally, make time to go see those people that, um, that I love. Oh my God. I love it. And that's something that, um, I'm challenging myself to do more of. And I think it, it does start with being more intentional and just deciding that it's so right. And so, um, there's something special about our group of friends. And I think we were trying to pinpoint it this weekend. We said, all of us are different. It's not like we're similar. We have different backgrounds. We came from different families, different, you know, ethnic groups. Sometimes we um, identify as dif- differently in so many ways, faith, etc. And um, yet we still found each other, and we've still maintained and nurtured these relationships over 30 years. And it's it doesn't happen all the time. I talk to many people who don't have the same experience. And 
I wish it so strongly for my own children who are in their 20s. I want what we have for them. And they look at us with such admiration because they know everybody. And uh, yeah. and I think they know how special it is. So what do you think what was the special sauce with all of us? You know, was it meeting at Miami? Was it something in particular? Or do you just think it's fate that just sort of brings people together and then the rest is up to us? Probably fate. I, I do. I do agree that I do think it was an extraordinary experience. I think that um, reflecting back, I think we were just focused primarily on our friendships. Like I don't, you know, I don't think any of us were out there, you know, overly focused on, um, you know, like a club scene or, you know, maybe part of it is being in a small nurturing community like Oxford, Ohio. Right. Um, And we weren't in like, I I was, I could not have gone to a big city school. I was not nearly Mm -hmm. mature enough for anything like that. So I think maybe being in that, that safe little, little bubble, um, you know, really helped propel that. But I, you know, I think sometimes it's just, you know, sometimes there's just a little luck. Yeah. I think so. We, we didn't have a definitive answer either, but I love what you'd shared. So, um, so what is next? Do you have any personal professional goals, things that are on the horizon um, that uh, you've been thinking about? So, you know, right now, I, um, my son's 15. Um, he's a sophomore in school, but he's not going to be on a traditional path. So what I mean by that is he is going to be able to stay into the school system until he's 21. Um, so I think right now our commitment is getting through this, um, kind of stage in life. And I really want to shape his teenage, his teenage years and allow him the opportunity to experience some of the stuff that, that, um, that I have, but beyond that, um, you know, I, I am kind of a minimalist at heart and, um, I don't think I need like, for example, this house anymore. Or, you know, some of those other things that people who are kind of keeping up with the Joneses might might want. So, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time daydreaming about, about being a digital nomad. So I think yeah. once we kind of get Tristan through this stage in life, I just kind of want to strip away a lot of the... Um, the possessions that I might've tied myself to because mm-hmm. each passing day, they mean less and less to me. So I don't need the house or the cars or anything. Um, what I do crave is experiences. Um, I love nature. As you know, I'm a national park geek. So I try to do yeah. three national parks a year. Um, and, you know, so, so, so travel is important. And, and, you know, we started talking about like turning 60. I, there's a lot of things that I want to do in life that I want to make sure that I can do now when my body is capable of doing it. Right. So I want to hike mountains. I, you know, we're planning a, a, a hiking adventure to Switzerland, you know, all of that stuff. So, you know, if you think about it this way, you've probably got a finite number of trips that you can take in the next year. So I'm really focused on kind of those more high intensity trips that I can do. And then beyond that, I'll take the cruise to Alaska when I'm 80. Right. So right now <laughs> I just kind of have a list of things that, uh, you know, I have, it, my phone has multiple bucket lists, but I have these bucket lists that I want to do with regards to travel that are much more high adventure. So I'm just trying to figure mm-hmm. out 
you know, the hard part is resources, time and money, right? So figure out how, 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 you know, what are those top 10 or 20 things that I want to do and uh, start working through those. I'll do the, I'll do the cruise and the, the all-inclusive vacation when I, when I'm a little more tired than I am today. <laughs> I love it. I will join you because the experiences are definitely on my list. And I've been going through, I think maybe since our kids are out of the house, so we're a little bit ahead of you. Um, we have just, I asked him, I said, anything that's left at the house is fair game. It means you don't want it and it's going to be gone. So we have been also just starting to remove things, declutter, but also, um, you know, creating more beautiful spaces outside. I want to see flowers because I spend so much time here. It's, you know, what really does bring me joy? What brings us satisfaction? It's being able to enjoy the very short Cleveland summers and, you know, in the beautiful fall and, you know, in create a, a home where we can host people here. If we can't go anywhere, just having people back at our home, but I'm with you. We're slowly just continuing to uh, remove and, and minimalize what's important because um, it, it's so interesting. It's like the first half of our life, we spend accumulating things and working towards purchases. And then I feel like the second half is all about like getting rid of all that stuff. Yeah. It's freeing. It's absolutely yeah. freeing. Yeah. It's so freeing. So Brian, the title of this podcast is Live the Width of Your Life. And it comes from a Diane Ackerman quote where she says, I don't want to have lived my full life and reached the end of it and realized that I only lived the length of it. I want to have with, lived the width of it as well. So what does it mean for you to live the width of your life and how do you choose to do that? Yeah, so... Um... I think at, at my core, I, you know, tuck, you know, dovetailing a little on what we just talked about is, is, is inner freedom, right? So it's the inner freedom to be able to do, um, you know, whatever it is that, that gives me joy and fulfillment. And um, so, so that's at the heart of everything. And then I, I you know, I kind of, I envisioned it as a circle here. I didn't, that, that next outer layer, Saturn's ring, if you will, is um, community. And for me, that, like we said, is just um, being able to make a positive impact in um, the communities that I'm a part of, the LGBT adoption community, the special needs parents community, and, um, and, then, and then just continuing to nurture, you know, those that I love. Oh, my God. That is so beautiful. And I am so grateful to be part of your community. I'm so That's grateful great. that our paths cross and then we continue to develop and work on our friendship. It, it's so meaningful. So I will join you on some of those fun trips that uh, require a bit more exertion. And then also the ones when we're old and we just want to go and uh, cruise <laughs> around. <laughs> so um, Brian, how can we best support you? What are the are there ways that we can become involved in some of the communities or even the American Heart uh, Cancer Association? Tell us some of the ways that we can best support you personally and professionally. Yeah, I, I think um, the organization that is closest, that is closest and near, near and dear to my heart right now is um, a group called FOSA Arizona. And what I've been working for with them is helping those kids that are aging out of the foster care system. Um, so, um, I, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but I'll tell you kids that don't get adopted, they, the likelihood of them ending up in jail or homeless yeah. is, um, 
is just astronomical. So we're trying to give them a soft landing um, so that when they exit the system, um, they have kind of a gateway or transition. And so Foster Arizona is really working on, um, on helping provide um, shelter and housing and clothing and all of that good stuff. So I'm having a little, um, uh, next month I'm having a little, fundraiser here at my house. Um, and we're just asking people to bring some gift cards. So I'll shoot a link over to you. So if anybody wants Please. to donate something to Foster Arizona, um, I can provide the, the link for that. And otherwise just check them out. I realize it's a, it's a, it's an Arizona um, based nonprofit, but they do amazing work. So um, I'll make sure to provide you with the links. Thank you. I will include it in the show notes. And if anyone is curious to follow along on your many life adventures, what's the best way they can find you on social media? Um, probably my Instagram, which is t- um, Team Solid Family. So okay, Team that's Solid that's our family. yeah, that's our that's our little family name. Well, I am so grateful to you that you chose to spend today with me, and uh, looking forward to many more conversations with you. And uh, so please support Brian and uh, the organizations that he is, uh, they're important to him. And if you like today's episode, like it, share it with your friends, subscribe to hear more and best of luck to you, Brian. Bye. Thank you.